0: is the one who was and is and is to come. Woo. I could just pray us out, y'all, because the worship. Listen, there's a witness I could just pray out. <laughs> My goodness. Listen, it's, it's, um, it's just something to think about. And I think sometimes we are so busy living life, just trying to get through it. We don't have a lot of moments where we stop and really contemplate what God has done. But when you stop and think about it, oh my God, it will lay you out. So whatever you're still wanting, whatever you're still needing from God, he will start to roll through that resume of stuff he's done in your life. And you'll be like, "Never mind, God. I'm just, I'm good right the way I am. Oh my gosh, what, what a privilege. Can we just give it up for our choir and our worship team again? So good. So good. It's so good. Um, I, um, I'm glad to be in our, we're in our soul care series. I think this might be the last one. We're kind of in the midst of that while uh pastor is off this week, even though I think I heard he was in the parking lot. So y'all watch out. He not, he not pastoral in the parking lot. He's in there trying to handle business, so don't go up there for a prayer request. He's gonna be like, no, back in, turn around, move move it. So uh, that's his sweet spot, but I am glad to be here. We are um, really talking about what it means to to deal with all the things that life brings our way and I was thinking about this because my in-laws are Jamaican if you don't know our pastor's Jamaican and so they they do tours of the US all the time I call them tours because they're citizens in Jamaica and here and so they have to come here for several months out of the year to keep their citizenship current and so They'll go to California for a while, which is where uh, pastor's sisters are, and then they come to Texas. And I like it, I'm blessed. I like my in-laws. I don't know if some of y'all might be struggling with that, but I love my in-laws. And so uh, we're glad to have them. My father-in-law has been in ministry a million years, and so he's got Bible stories coming out of ears and everything, he's just got Bible stories for days. And my mother-in-law, sweet, just loves the Lord. But really why I love her when she visits is because she is in my kitchen. That's right, the Spirit of the Lord is there. And so she comes in and my kitchen appliances are like, oh, this is what we were intended for. So she comes, cause I cook a little bit, but I'm like a one, two burner. She's like all six burners. She got everything going all the time. And so uh, my kids are like, is it Thanksgiving? I'm like, no. mom is here you know so uh, we love it and she is a very particular cook because she's very good at what she does and she'll come and she needs certain equipment out which like I said mine is minimal you know but she'll be like "Jada," I'm like yes mom uh, where is the pressure cooker and I tell her it's wherever you left it last because <laughs> That's the last time it was used. So do you remember where you put it, Mom? Because we will find it. It's there from January. So we find the pressure cooker. One time it was broke, y'all. It was 911. We had to stop and go get a new pressure cooker. I was like, but I have a crock pot, and we have pots and pans. She's like, mm-mm, no, no, no. So look here, young grasshopper. She was like, you need this pressure cooker. And so you know, if you know anything about how those work, it's it keeps you from spending hours and hours Cooking a meal. However, it also makes the food come out a little different. Um, it's usually much more flavorful because the nutrients, even scientific studies like the pressure cooker is the best way to go. It's faster. It's more intense. So instead of the steam escaping, you know, pressure cooker, it's like a rubber lid on the inside. keeps it airtight. All that pressure, instead of escaping, comes back down, and something delicious is happening inside. Now, don't mess around and open the pressure cooker. See? It cooks in here. <laughs> don't mess around and open the pressure cooker before it's done because now your calculations are off like you don't know how long it needs to be in there and what everything is what everything is doing so i've learned and i support her i set that table with so much joy i get those plates cups i'm like i am here for you what do you need in this kitchen i've learned that lesson right and she will swear that this is the best way to do it and and my my palate agrees that that the pressure cooker is the best way to do it but when I was thinking about how she likes to cook and that, how important that pressure cooker is to her and how much she uses it, I really started thinking about what a metaphor for life it, it's like. Where you just feel like sometimes that pressure is just closing in on every side. And you're just like, God, is there another way? Can we crack the lid? Can a little bit of this pressure escape? Can we, can we alter this a little bit? It's uncomfortable. But I'm just gonna tell you that I can testify that when you allow the pressure cooker to do what it's supposed to do, God will produce something that could not have otherwise been produced. And it doesn't just produce good food for you. It is so good that it always results in compliments of the chef. Everybody says, who in the world prepared this meal? And I know they're not looking at me. We are talking about Barbara Edwards. But the same thing happens in your life. When you endure the pressure, don't give up, don't quit. God will produce something in you that's not just good for you. It will bless those who partake in it. And when they say, how could this be? You will say compliments to the chef. I need to explain to you what God has done in my life for every mountain right that he's brought me over. I can't, I can't quite give you all the explanation cause some supernatural things took place, but I need to give all the glory to God. And so today is really just some encouragement because if you were trying to live for Christ, I'm not talking about go to church. I'm talking about if you're trying to live for Christ, the pressure is real. It's real. My single friends are like, we're trying to date, right? I'm trying to figure out how do I do this? Do I go online? Do I not go online? And I'm trying to have standards, and everybody's like, your standards are too high. It's not that serious. They don't have to live in church, and they don't have to, and you're like, they don't have to live there, but they gotta know Jesus, you know? And then your friend's like, well, but still, he's spiritual. You're like, "Mm, not that kind, you know? Or the guy is trying to be like, like, I want us to be pure before marriage, and the girl is like, what? And like, nobody is feeling you, and even your Christian friends? or like just pray God will understand and then sometimes i would be like you know what let me just no I'm just kidding <laughs> just like... if you're married you're trying to live right and things have happened in your marriage because things happen in marriage and people say if that had been me I would have left I can't believe you are still there and you know the spirit is telling you to stay and no one understands why you're choosing to stay when everybody else would choose to leave you. Like, am I always the one giving forgiveness? Always the one apologizing? Always the one saying, let's resolve this conflict. How are we gonna talk? What about counseling? Can we go deeper? I'm tired. I'm trying to be honoring. I'm trying to be loving. I'm trying to do the right thing. And I got Christians telling me, it's okay. God, don't understand. And maybe you with the parenting pressure. Jesus, it's a witness. You can, if you have littles at home, I mean, just in the home, you have kids in your home and you're up here trying to do it different than how it was done to you. You like, I'm trying to keep my hands to myself. (laughs) My God. Y'all wearing me out. I don't want no more conversation, just do it. And then the spirit is like, raise them up in the way they should go, and train them up, and know their personality, and have all these conversations. You're like this is too much talking, because <laughs> I know how I was talked to. It was because I said, quit asking all these questions. You got like a two-question limit. The, the third one is a is a gaze. Why are you still talking? Right? And so by the time I have a conversation with one of my kids that is honoring to them and treating them like humans, even though I'm the parent, I'm not letting them run over me, but trying to be honoring, understanding what they're saying, hearing them out. I'm I'm tired. I'm tired because that's not what my flesh wanted to do. So now 12 minutes later, if my husband needs something, I'm like, "Mm -mm, I'm done. I I just talked to your daughter for 15 minutes and I don't have anything left. Because it's hard. And if you have adult children, y'all, it doesn't go away because now you can't really tell them what to do, but you're looking at their life like, what are you? This is an unwise choice, child. And you got to still honor them. They're adults now. You got to try to be a friend and influence them. You can't run their life. You're trying to be a witness for them, but not be judgmental. It's a hope. And don't even let me start about money. My gosh. You're like, I've worked, I've earned my money, I want to do what I want. And God is like, actually, it's my money. <laughs> so you deciding like you're gonna tithe 2% one week and 8% one week and skip two weeks because you didn't like the sermon or you don't trust churches. And he's like, You you're doing too much. You're you're not really giving to me. You're just acknowledging that I gave to you. And so when people are like, do what you want with your money, and you're like, but God's calling me to generosity. You just like, ugh. So just because I can afford it. I might might pass up on that name brand because I know what God wants me to do with my money. Y'all, it's a constant struggle. And don't try to have no ethics or integrity in your business. My Lord, they're like, nobody will notice. Everybody does it this way. Just put this on your taxes. You're like, what? Whose name is that? (laughs) Listen, same person is eight dependents for somebody. Like what is happening? you can't even really enjoy it because god and his grace will take away how you used to enjoy the world so now you're just stuck in this place you want to do it the way you used to do it and then you try it don't even feel as good as it used to and the spirit is like i'm taking that taste out of your mouth i'm not gonna let you enjoy that i am your enjoyment so what will you do when the pressure of life which is inevitable it will come and i'm gonna tell you why it's gonna come because if the world hated christ they're gonna hate anybody that stands for Christ. And it's cool as long as Jesus is blessing and delivering and calling you to purpose. But when he has a standard of righteousness, a standard of love, you have to apologize when you don't think you're wrong. You gotta forgive without explanation. Reconcile when you don't have all the details. Not give yourself the credit when you did all the work. Take the humble road. Ain't nobody trying to hear that Jesus and you will be alone. That pressure is real y'all. If we're going to live for Christ, the pressure will absolutely come. But Paul in 2 Corinthians four gives us a way to endure In 2 Corinthians four. I'm just going to read some of these verses for you. Chapter four, verse one, he says this, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. For we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And in verse 5, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness in creation, has shown in our hearts and given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It's a very long phrase that means we have the gospel. And then in verse seven, he turns a corner and he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed and in verse 15 he says for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of god so we don't lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. And so we look to the things that are, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul is like, I'm trying to explain to you that the pressure will come, but also I need you to have an expectation of endurance. Y'all, anything can happen for a quick moment. Anything can be a flash in the pan. Sometimes I wonder and I look at the people that influence us and the things that we, that we look to right now. I'm like, what will, what will we say about them in 15 or 20 years? Uh, is Is there longevity? Is there endurance? Or was it just some excitement in this moment? The Christian life is not a sprint. It is about endurance. It is very much a marathon. And so if we don't find a way to navigate that, we will just succumb. We will just be overwhelmed. We will drown under the pressure or we'll try to escape too quickly. <laughs> and that's why some of us haven't even really stepped out in the faith that God is calling us to because we're looking at the lives of other Christians going, mm-mm, <laughs> no thanks. I don't want that. I just want the good part. But y'all, here's the thing about the Christian life. Paul, his life, before he met Jesus, he was great before like he was i mean persecuting the church he wasn't doing good stuff but he had clothes he had friends he had influence he had fame he had notoriety he had position he was listened to well regarded then he messed around and met jesus and then you read the rest of his testimony he's like we've been shipwrecked abandoned stoned whipped imprisoned nobody is like sign me up for that they are not so he's saying everything that you think you see is not the whole story so if you want to understand what God might be doing in your life and how to endure and to do it in a way that glorifies God, here's, here's how you need to do it. He's giving us five things in second Corinthians four that will keep us from quitting. And the first one is that we have to recognize the gifts of God, recognize that you have a gift from God. Because look what he says in verse one and two, he says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy, y'all say mercy, of god we don't lose heart well what is this ministry i know y'all gonna go back after this and study the bible and make sure what i'm saying is accurate i know it i know between sundays y'all like let me just dig into that so when you do go back to chapter 3 because this ministry that he's talking about is not because he was in full-time ministry he was talking about the fact now that all believers see unveiled the glory of god because in the days of moses there was a veil in the temple jesus died the veil was torn in two and so now we had this clarity like we never had before And then he says, now the spirit, we're being transformed from glory to glory or one degree of glory to another is what he says at the end of chapter three. And we do it by the power of the spirit. So he says, you have to recognize what you have because if you fail to recognize the gift that you have by God's mercy and you think that enduring and persevering the pressure is up to you, you will fail. You will fail. You might be able to get yourself through a situation or two but you will not be able to sustain yourself for a lifetime. No one is their own power source. No one is truly self-sufficient. No one is independent. Everybody is codependent on a God who allows us to exist every day, every single day. And so sometimes when we've had to overcome a lot in life, when we've had to deal with things, we forget that we have received this gift by mercy. So we don't recognize clearly the gift that God has given us. And what does this mean? Paul says that means we don't lose heart. That means we have tenacity, we endure, we don't fade. Not because we try really hard, but because we have this gift And the gift allows us to endure. When I am resting on the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of God, it doesn't matter if I have an up day or a down day. I know that on my worst day, I can still win. I can still persevere. I can still triumph because it's not up to me. So we have to recognize y'all say recognize that you have a gift from God. The second thing we have to reject y'all say reject. reject anything not aligned with the truth of God. Ooh, y'all, anything. <laughs> Here's the thing, in verse two he says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. See, Paul knew that anytime time you start to have a subtle shift away from truth, you are decreasing your chances of perseverance because only the truth, the actual truth of God, Will allow you to persevere so the first challenge is do i know enough truth to know when i'm not hearing truth because if all i know is what my favorite person is saying then everything they say sounds true to me i don't have a word enough word in me for the spirit to say Mm-mm, that doesn't sound quite right most of the time he's telling me jada that feels too good if it feels good to you it's probably not the truth because the truth is uncomfortable And so if I have a a philosophy or a theology that says um, if I pray hard enough and I'm a good enough person God will heal He'll heal me or heal the person in my life because everybody told me if I just ask I'll receive If I just open the door then God is gonna give it to me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me We all got our favorite t-shirt screensaver tote bag verses and we like I just if I just ask God will do it but if that truth is not clearly aligned with God's Word then what will I do when God allows me to stay in long-term sickness? Then what do you do? Then you're like, well, God must not be good or maybe I'm not praying enough. But God does heal, that's true. But also God is sovereign, that's true. Also God allows suffering, that's true. Because I can look at the life of Christ, the life of Paul, the life of so many people who were favored and they suffered. But God's will is not gonna always make sense, that's true but God can give me a grace that sustains. That's true. So if I just pick one slice of truth, then even if it, if it sounds almost right, but it's not absolutely right, I won't persevere because as soon as God doesn't do the thing I'm asking for, I'm like, I'm out. God is not good. I thought he was supposed to do this. What happens if I believe that, that walking in the will of God means that I won't have any hard times. I mean, really, because we're like, I obeyed. God, you asked me to step out on faith. I said, yes. Why is this hard? Why is it hard? And then we get mad at God. And then we start telling God things that we've done so that he will kind of lighten the load. <laughs> like God, but, but for real, I, I did not miss a Sunday this month, like for real. And God, remember, I had these things that I wanted to say to that person. I didn't say it. What do I get for that? He's like, nothing. <laughs> what you're supposed to do you know it's like when your kids are like look i cleaned up my plate okay what do you what do you want i mean uh, that's what you're supposed to do but when we have a misaligned truth we start to think that we need to present god with our resume so we can get him to respond in a certain way we don't understand that grace says god is good to us even when we're bad to him that mercy says god withholds punishment even when we deserve it but it also says that when we honor the Lord sure he might elevate us, but sometimes he does it when we haven't honored him that we, our ways are not his ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So I have to have a, a, a line truth. I have to reject anything that's not aligned with God's truth because listen, we will convince ourselves of something that feels comfortable and then we will make it the voice of God. This is hard. Whatever this is, this marriage, this job, this situation, I need to leave this. Because God doesn't want me unhappy. Because God wants me to protect my peace. And he wants me to stay safe. God says, but wait a minute, I give you a peace that passes understanding. I didn't ask you to protect your peace. I said, I will protect your peace. And I'm not gonna call you to break a commitment and cause pain to somebody else I love just because it's comfortable for you. So before you do that thing because it feels good, don't make it the voice of God. He says you need to align yourself with the truth. If there's an exit in this situation, I will make it. You don't have to make it. It has to be completely aligned with God's Word. That's why Paul says later on in this letter in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, we take every thought captive. We destroy the arguments and the foolishness that come against the Word of God. Because, y'all, that truth might feel good in that moment, but it will not sustain you through the marathon. We will not have an accurate theology, an accurate understanding of God. And worse, the world will be like, oh, well, if God is good, that means he's healing. If, God, if, if you are a Christian living for God, that means you're able to, to have on name brands and live this kind of lifestyle. But what happens when the faithful person doesn't have that? What happens when the faithful person, God still allows death or loss or pain or trauma in their life? Then we have to try to say that only when you're blessed do you have evidence of God's goodness? That's not gonna sustain us through the hard times, y'all. The high times in this life are quick and far and few between. It is mostly living in the valley that we have to find the goodness of God. So we have to reject any truth not aligned with the word of God. The third thing, we have to redefine our idea of treasure. That's what he says in verse 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us we have to redefine what we think is valuable y'all because that will change right treasure in, in one generation is not the same as treasure in another generation You may have grown up thinking, if I can just not be in this apartment or I want to be in a better school district when I have kids or maybe you grew up in a single parent home, I want to be married and have two parents for my kids and we're going to live in a house. That might have been your value. Like, these are my life goals. And then you do those things. Well, guess what? Those are not your kids' goals. They don't have a value of living in a house because they grew up in a house. They don't have a value of having two parents at home. They had two parents at home. They don't have a value of having financial stability if you've always provided it. Because what happens is the more you have, the more you won't. So your value, your idea of treasure continues to change. That's why God is saying it cannot be aligned with success. And what this world says is good. It has to be the gospel. When Paul says we have this treasure, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the earlier verses, he gives us that long phrase that we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, all these prepositional phrases. But he's saying this is the gospel. That's the real treasure, and the gospel is unchanging. It's as valuable today as it was 2,000 years ago, and it will be as valuable 2,000 years from now if Christ doesn't return. See, it's not shifting. It's not based on markets and trending and supply and demand. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says God has deposited something in you, and for some reason, God has taken this perfect, eternal, imperishable, divine thing called the gospel and chosen to deposit it inside a fragile, broken, flawed, sinful human beings. That is the ultimate paradox. If you've ever been to an older person's home, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. We were, I remember as a child, my great grandmother, I mean, we were switching out mattresses in the bedroom one day. She said, hey, hey, don't move that mattress. <laughs> There's something in there cuz we go opening up the mattress, she got money in the mattress, right? Old school, old school. Then we go in to clean out the closet. Oh, don't touch those shoes. Those shoes, OK, the shoes in the back, that's got my wheel in there. I was like, why? Because <laughs> we got file folders, right? Because I'm like, then we found out that there was a coffee can in the pantry that had, like, somebody's birth certificate in it. Like, you cannot just go randomly cleaning up older people's homes because they, they have stuff hidden in random places because they, like, it's for protection. But then sometimes they forget what's hidden, too. <laughs> but it's interesting, especially if you've ever experienced this, because what happens is what used to be just a regular coffee can now is valuable because you know someone's birth certificate is inside. So how you handle the other coffee can might be different than how you handle that one. And it's not because they look different on the outside. It's because of what someone has chosen to deposit inside. And those shoes, they look old, they look worn down, they don't fit anymore. Why we have those? That's because grandmama's wheel is rolled up in there. And that mattress, it's time for it to be tossed out, but somebody has stuffed money in there. Listen, when God says you have treasure in jars of clay, he's saying I need you to understand the value is not in what people seek. It's not because you got the shiniest jar. It's not because you got the glossiest design. It's because of what I have chosen to deposit in you. And if you understand that what is in you is more powerful and more valuable than what's outside of you, you will be able to endure the pressure. You will be able to endure. So Paul says we have this treasure in this paradox, jars of clay. Why? So that the surpassing power is clear that it belongs to God and not to us. So we have these fragile broke breakable earthen vessels that are not much to look at. They look the same. Everybody's looks the same. Nobody's is better than the other, but the deposit on the inside is what makes us valuable. So all of this y'all is a setup. Paul is like, I need you to understand your identity. You've got this gift by the mercy of God. You have this access to truth. You have this treasure. You need your identity solid because reality is coming. I know we like, I just want to sit in the identity, I just want to be a treasure in Charles of clay. And he's like, I, I need you to know this because look what's coming next in verse eight. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Number four, when it comes to uh, keeping us from quitting is to get ready for the pressure you need to get ready for the pressure because there's some promises that Paul is giving us here in verses eight and nine promises that hard things will happen and also a promise that it won't take us out. He was like, there's two promises in all of these verses. So we're, uh, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So like this pressure is coming in on us what so he's talking about affliction, but it's not to the point of destruction is basically what he's saying. It's, it's like, yeah, you'll feel it. You, you might get a little bit nicked up, but it's not going to take you out. So you need to expect that there's gonna be pressure, but you can also expect that you can persevere. So he's not saying that if you walk with God, there's no affliction. He's saying if you walk with God, there will be affliction, but the affliction will not win. So he said we're afflicted, but not crushed. Then he says perplexed, but not driven to despair. Now y'all, this word perplexed, it gets us. It actually means to be utterly confused and to create anxiety. So now, I don't know if you've ever been confused by God. Like, you said yes to God, and then all the other stuff didn't add up. Or God moved you to a city, and you're like, now what? Because I lost the job that I moved here for. Or you knew this relationship was gonna be it, and now it's not it. Or you knew that taking this faith move, and yes, God, okay, I'm gonna start this business, or I'm gonna do this, or say yes to this dream, or walk in this calling, and then it became harder so many things create confusion in our lives sometimes you spend so much time watching your back that you don't realize the person in front of you is the one betraying you we get betrayed by loved ones we get abandoned and and rejected and the person that we thought maybe we were going to be with forever is suddenly not with us anymore we experience death and loss and grief and so many things but here here is why paul is saying you will be perplexed there'll be some confusion but it won't be to the point of despair hopelessness what he's saying is you don't have to understand what's happening to have hope because hope is in the God of all hope, not in the certainty of your circumstance. Romans 15 says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace because the hope is anchored in his character, not my ability to understand what's happening in my life. If, if this truth doesn't resonate with you, y'all, listen, the enemy will suck you in because he loves to plant confusion. If you think about Genesis 3, he didn't come out the gate talking against God. He just asked Eve a question. Did God say that? And if you're not solid in where God has you, when somebody asks you that question, did God say that? Did he say that she's the one, he's the one? Did he say go here? Are you sure he said leave your corporate job to go work at this nonprofit? Are you sure God said that? If you're not certain, you will be perplexed and you will be like, you know what, God, maybe you didn't say it. And all of a sudden you're second guessing him and when we begin to get confused like that we use our own logic just like eve did she had her pros and her cons list maybe y'all do that pros bible says she saw that it was good to make one wise it's good to look at it's good for food makes sense. pros this is makes sense human logic now on the cons she had nothing i don't know why she didn't say it because god said don't do it because that con trumps everything But she didn't because when we're confused and we're not anchored in the truth of God, we use our logic, our human logic to try to understand divine activity. That is like banging your head against a wall. It will not make sense. But Paul says you need to know the enemy is going to try to tempt you with confusion, but you don't have to be driven to despair. Sometimes you look around your own home and you're like, (laughs) whose kids are these? How is this, are you calling me to parent? Are you calling me to be the spouse to this person? Are you calling me to be a friend to this person? I don't know how I can do with God. I don't have enough to give. Yeah. I have met people y'all who I know, I met somebody recently, they were called to, uh, it's an actual ministry uh, in the north part of the country and they had been praying for this for years. So they knew that when all these doors opened, it wasn't them that God was ordaining this. They go into it and every turn attack. I mean, they have been talked about, mass emails, people undermining all of their initiatives. It's a mess. So now they're like, oh, this must not have been the Lord. They're ready to quit. But I always ask the question, who benefits more from my quitting? The kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness? Because if the enemy benefits from my quitting, I need to reconsider. Because he would love for me to say, this is too hard, give up. But what happens is they went to a place that was supposed to be faith-based and a Christian place and it was more darkness than light. But God has used them to be a light in that dark place. And if you think that saying yes to God means smooth sailing, oh my gosh, you'll never say yes. I wanna meet somebody who says, I said yes to God and life just got easy. Life got better, but not easy. See, cause the pressure-free life is the purpose-free life. You can't have purpose without some pressure. But, but the Bible is telling us, listen, you're going to be perplexed. There's going to be things that cause confusion, but you don't have to understand it in order to have hope. Then he says we're persecuted, but not forsaken. That persecution, that word means to attack or to chase after someone like they are an enemy. But we are not forsaken. Because how many times in the Scripture do we see that God says, I am the Lord your God, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And sometimes it's just your own friends. It's your own family. and You're trying to live for Christ and you're like, no, this is what I believe, this is what I want to stand. They're like, oh, okay, so now you're holy. Because they knew you before you you really started getting with Christ. And now that's all they want to remind you of. And you're like, ooh, you know what? I'm gonna quit coming to family gatherings. And God's like, no, you're not. You're gonna keep going and you're gonna represent me well. And you're gonna be out of your feelings and you're gonna let them see that God is good in your life. Because we're trying to be out. We're trying to just have friends giving. I'm like, you know what? I don't even have to hang out with y'all anymore. But God is saying, no, I'm sending you back into this place. Because even when you feel attacked, you're not abandoned. I saw a video not too long ago, y'all, of this woman. And I think it was in Collin County. So we probably should be concerned. But it was a, um, a ring camera. You know, the doorbell cameras. They tell everybody's business now. So anyway, this woman is outside, y'all. And this bobcat comes flying across the street and into her yard attacking her and so we sitting there, i'm like oh my gosh he played on the news or something and a few seconds into the attack i think she might have been yelling or screaming they didn't capture the sound very well but her husband comes running out the house now what i would have done is snatched her into safety no this man fights the bobcat i'm talking about only in texas this man fights this bobcat he puts her behind him he's like eh, mm, 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 mm fighting this bobcat. And then at some point he picks up the bobcat and throws it across the yard. I was like, why? See, the Lord, the Lord leads us all differently because that would not have been my testimony. We would have been in the, in the house looking at that bobcat like. <laughs> he fights the bobcat, y'all, and he's got her behind him the whole way. I didn't see the end of the video because the camera didn't record all that. But I know how it turned out because a few weeks later she was being interviewed. <laughs> I mean, she was sitting there cute. And he's sitting there, had a few little scratches on himself. But he was pleased with himself. Because he was like, oh, I fought that bobcat. (laughs) I'm like, this man is good for the next 12 anniversaries. (laughs) He's going to be like, you remember that bobcat? Remember that bobcat? (laughs) Can we take a vacation? You remember that bobcat? (laughs) Like, he is good for a while, but he was so proud of himself that he went toe to toe with that bobcat. I was like, sir, that would not be my testimony. But I'm watching this thing and he is proud for like every scratch and every scar. He was like, my wife is untouched. Y'all, this is the metaphor of attacked, but not abandoned. Because see, the enemy and the world will come charging at you. And God says, I got you. I will come in front of you, fight this battle on your behalf. And that's why we're able to look at our Savior and say, by his stripes, by his scratches, by his marks, we've been healed. We've been protected. We've been preserved. He's like, I'm not gonna just run to safety and leave you out there. I'm gonna fight on your behalf. I will persevere for you. So even when you've been attacked, you've never been forsaken. God always has, he does not leave. He's unable to be unfaithful. It's not even in his nature. So when you have a good day and you had your quiet time and you listen to all worship music and no secular music of the day, you're like, I am so walking in the spirit. I kept all my cuss words in my head today. Look at God. I know y'all be like, woo, I didn't say it. Look at God. He's faithful and he's there, but guess what? On your bad day, when you haven't had devotions and you didn't say what you should have said, he's still there. On your good day, when you serving in church and got your DFW, we love you t-shirt on, he's there. When you skip church because you're guilty for what you did over the weekend, he's still there. He's a faithful God. Which means he's not deciding each day if he's going to show up for you. He has already made that decision. That commitment was made before you even thought of. It was sealed at the cross. It's done for eternity. He cannot forsake you. So Paul wants you to remember this truth. Because the enemy is going to try to convince you God has left you. There's no way you'd be going through this if God loved you. And then you start looking at other people's life and you go, oh, that's the life that I had asked for, Lord. I know you had a lot of people, maybe you switched us because remember I was asking. <laughs> you know, you see people's life and you're like, oh no, that's what she got, that's what I wanted. And why would she get it? Because I know how she's living. You know, we got all kinds of reasons. Like I, maybe you made a mistake because remember when we were talking, I had asked, okay, no, no. He's like, no, mm-mm, I got you. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> My plan is greater than your perspective right now. I know you can't see it all, but trust me, I'm cooking up something good in your life. And the cooking process might not feel good, but it will produce more than you could have ever produced on your own. Will you trust in no church? So number five, the last thing we do if we want to keep from quitting, then we get to watch the power of God be released in our lives, you get to watch the power of God. Now you don't have to conjure up the power of God, it's there, treasure in jars of clay, so that we might show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. If I would just submit, if I would just choose to persevere when I'm under the pressure, the power of God will show up. Now in my house, we like boiled eggs. I'm pulling back on that a little bit because eggs are high right now, but uh, we do like boiled eggs. And so my son, who is learning how to boil eggs and do a little bit of minor cooking, comes to me and he's like, oh, mom, I want to uh, boil these eggs. There's two eggs sitting down on the counter. He didn't pull them out of the refrigerator. So he was like, which one is boiled and which one is not? And I'm trying to explain to him. You know, there's little tricks. One spins a certain way. Sometimes one floats and one does But this is my 10-year-old son. This is how he figures out which one is not boiled. Oh, that one's not boiled. I said, see, you don't buy groceries. That's why you did that because the way eggs are set up right now, that's like $2, so you, you need to eat that egg. Pick that shell out, <laughs> you need to eat that egg, okay? So then he's like, oh, okay, the other one is boiled. He said, let me, let me check, this is my son. Oh, okay, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's boiled, but he gotta keep doing it, because he's my 10-year-old boy. Keeps going, over and over again. And he starts to become fascinated, because he realizes every time I drop this egg, it gets more cracks, but it never falls apart. How is that, mom? I said, well, boiled eggs don't fall apart like that. You have to work to try to peel the shell off. Just being dropped might create some cracks, but it don't destroy it. (laughs) See, it's afflicted, but not crushed. It's perplexed, but it's not despairing. It's struck down, but it's not forsaken. So you might see some cracks in the egg, but actually what's interesting about a boiled egg It only becomes boiled because the pressure and the heat have gotten to it. And then somehow or another, the substance on the inside actually holds the outside together. So I said, you might see some cracks, but it's never going to fall apart the way you think it will. And here's the real beauty. Every crack in this egg lets me know what's on the inside. So what God is really doing in your life, church, he's not trying to destroy you. He's saying for every crack in your life, my power gets to be made known. People get to wonder how in the world Have you been dropped that many times? How have you been attacked that many times? How are you still standing? How do you still have your right mind? How are you not deep in depression and anxiety? How have you come out on the other side? How did you have that childhood but you're not bitter? How did you have that life but you're not angry? How are you still authentically worshiping me? How do you still trust God when you've had that kind of situation in your life? And you say, oh, I have this treasure in this jar of clay, and I know that whatever life brings my way, I can endure it to the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the life of Jesus, not because of my hard work, because God saw fit to bring his son to this earth and simply say, I will do all the work If you just believe, my grace plus your faith will set you up to persevere through whatever this life has to bring. And so scripture tells us in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Psalm 37, David says, I have been young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. In Isaiah 40 says, if you would wait on the Lord, You won't grow weary, you won't faint, you'll mount up with wings of eagles. Philippians one says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Philippians four says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Galatians says, don't grow weary in your well-doing. And James says, count it joy when you encounter your trials. But it's summed up in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you something, what the world, the enemy, and even your own thoughts, if they are telling you that anything created in this world, any person, anything human, anything temporary, can take you out you need to know that it's a lie right now in the name of jesus because he has called you to a perseverance at the end of this chapter paul says we we focus on the things that are unseen this all of this being perplexed being afflicted uh, he said that is light and momentary affliction compared to the weight of glory that's going to be eternal so church whatever is coming your way and if you're not feeling it now it's coming whatever is coming for you understand that perseverance is not only, you're not only able to persevere, God expects you to persevere. It will not only be good for your life, but for everybody else that's exposed to you. They can taste and see that God is good. In Jesus' name, come on, let's give God glory. Come on.